Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want to read one passage of Scripture up front today, Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15, beginning in verse 4. Paul the Apostle writing to the church in Rome. He had not visited the church in Rome. And he writes the most exhaustive presentation of the pattern of sound teaching, of what he communicated everywhere he preached. And it says in verse 4 of Romans 15, For whatever things were written before were written, for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. I want to teach a message today titled, Majors and Minors in the School of Prophets. Will you say that with me? Majors and Minors in the School of Prophets. Let us pray. Father, we just take this moment to purposefully, intently meditate, set our affections and our thoughts on you. Our creator, our sustainer, the one who is revealed fully in Jesus Christ, our King. And Lord, we thank you despite what may be in our life, Despite what we may be going through, your kingdom is unshakable. We thank you for the authority that's in the name of Jesus, that demon influences that seek to blind your character and your truth from hearts and minds would be bound in this time as we gather in Jesus' name. That people would be in a position that they could be loosed and received from you that your light would go forth, O God of light, that your enemies would be scattered and yield to your Holy Spirit. We ask, make the unseen one, Jesus, become felt and seen and known. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. No, I'm not rapping. I've not dropped my EP that we're all anxiously waiting. But those are the 12 books of the Bible of Scripture known as the Minor Prophets. Now, minor not in terms of importance but in the amount of words that they spoke as the mouthpiece of God in the Old Testament on the earth. Now Paul, speaking of their importance and their significance for us today, says in Romans 15, 4 that we saw, that whatever things were written, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahim, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, For whatever things were written before 
were written for our learning. Our learning. It's a pretty powerful statement there. One, it's not just for my learning. Meaning Scripture is not to be disconnected from a corporate community of followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, I tell you where you get false brethren and false ministers and false prophets is those who disconnect Scripture and themselves from a holistic, growing, passionate community of followers of Jesus Christ. But he says that they were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of Scriptures might have hope. What does this mean when we think about these 12 minor prophets, these 12 books of the Old Testament Scriptures that we refer to as the minor prophets? Well, first it means that there is at least a thread of hope in every book. So oftentimes we look at it and we see the alarming words that the prophets declare on behalf of God. We, we read the sobering and vivid language that the prophets speak on earth on behalf of God. And oftentimes we forget though that Paul is clear in saying in every minor prophet, in every book of the minor prophet, there is always at least a thread of hope. Always a thread of hope. See, God and His Word, I, I've preached this before, and this theme is a hope factory. It's a hope factory. That Scripture is given to us that no matter what season or what we're facing, a thread of hope, a spark of hope, can be born in our life. And He says that they're given for us in that. Notice also it's for our learning. What that means is, they're given for our discipleship because what is the core definition of a disciple? It is one who is a learner. And that's why today the title is Majors and Minors and the School of Prophets. That's good news for some of us that didn't finish schooling and, and uh, yet we can still, we can still in the School of Prophets have some majors and minors. We can still learn what God has said and what it means for us. Now, also understand this is not like we have minor league prophets and then we have major league prophets. Now, notice I had to put in that baseball reference. It is October, by the way. It's October baseball. It's playoff baseball. And uh, But this is not what we're talking about when we talk about major and minor. They're minor in the amount of words, but not in importance. Few words, but words for impact. In fact, I was at the bank um, the other week and I stumbled into a follow-up conversation between the two tellers before me that had just finished up serving uh, one of the regular uh, customers who visits that local uh, bank branch. And then they asked me as I came up to them, they said, how about you? And I looked up, I wasn't sure what... I was being asked, and they said, do you talk a lot? And respectfully, I answered saying, I am normally pretty quiet so that when I do speak, people are more likely to listen. 
And one lady knew me more than the other, and uh, the other lady didn't know me as well. And so in the midst of the conversation, she said, well, what do you do? And the other lady spoke up and said, well, he's a minister. I said, that's what I do daily as I seek to listen to people, not always do the talking, so that when I do speak to what they're sharing, they might be a little more inclined to listen. Some of you are thinking, I need to hang out with Pastor Chad outside of when he has the microphone. That's right. That's right. But what can we say thus far? Here's what we can say regarding the minor prophets. They're minor in the amount of words, not minor in the significance of their words. A minor amount of words, some of them you can read four chapters, eight chapters. Hosea, I think, is 12 chapters. A minor amount of words, but with major implications. Now, what does that mean for you and I, who are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years distant between when they originally on earth spoke these prophecies and these words of the living and the almighty God? What does it practically mean for us? What can you and I take away today? What can we take away today and apply to our marriages, to our relationships, to the people that we have at our job and to our neighbors, and to our siblings, to our family? Well, number one, you see there, here's what we can take away. A minor amount of words can still have a major amount of impact. We see this with most of the minor prophets. They are an example that they're an example written for our learning. And what we can learn from them is that a minor amount of words can still have a major amount of impact. I mean, think about the prophets whose words were limited, but their impact of those words were not limited. In fact, most of them, if you're not familiar and took the time ever to read them, most prophesied the words of the Lord regarding the sins of entire nations. That's few words, but it's words about major implications. In fact, many of them prophesied about issues regarding the impact on national finances, the finances of an entire country. Many of them prophesied about issues regarding national agriculture, the whole financial system and agriculture of a nation. Many of them prophesied regarding borders of nations and the wars of nations. We're talking about how few words can still be of major significance. Still can have major implications and major impact. Think about this for us here today. Think about this regarding our relationships. Think about this those of us that are married today. Think about this, those of us that are parents and parenting our children. Think about this in the, those of you that have deep friendships or have acquaintances or you have coworkers or you have neighbors that you spend time with. How minor words have major impact. Minor words have major impact. I talk to many of you. It's my honor to listen to your life story and find where your story fits within God's story. How God and His kingdom and His gospel wants to break in and minister to your story and where you find alignment with what God has been doing from the beginning of time. 
And I hear so often how this is so true. That a minor amount of words spoken in your life, over your life, to your life, still have major impact upon you. I think about John Maxwell and his short course in human relations. He says the least important word is I. The most important word is we. The two most important words, thank you. The three most important words, all is forgiven. The four most important words, what is your opinion? The fifth most important words is you did a good job. And the six most important words, I want to understand you better. A course in human relations. What do we see? That a few words can have major impact in our relationships with others. Think about the difference between these few words. I hate you. You're an idiot. You're unworthy to be loved. You will never amount to anything. I wish I never would have had you. My biggest mistake was marrying you. I will never forgive you. I want a divorce. You're a failure. How could you be so dumb and do that? Few words, but think of the major implications and impact that it has upon our life if we were to hear those words. Some of you have heard those words. Some of you are very aware today of the impact that few words have had upon your life. Others of you have heard those words and Yet you wonder why your life is in a standstill. You wonder why there's not the momentum of God's Spirit. You wonder what's holding you back. And today the Holy Spirit is enlightening that it's few words said to you or over you or about you in your past that is still having major impact upon your present life. But think of the other. Think of the opposite of these type of words and the impact they can have. I love and respect you. I thank God for you. I am grateful for you. We are in this together. I forgive you. God is with you. God has gifted you. You did a great job. God is greater than your past. Think of the difference. Both sides are few words, but both sides can have major impact. But notice the different impact what type of words they are can have. Some of you, it's a few words of your past that's still haunting you in your present. It's words from a father or a mother or it's the lack of healthy words from relationships. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it was a a friend in elementary school that embarrassed you. But we see... That even though we grow older as adults, we still see this truth that we can learn from the minor prophets that a minor amount of words can still have major impact upon our life. And the gospel and the kingdom of God wants to invade those areas and remove the negative impact and let God's word replace it. And here's the key. 
is that even in our relationship with God, it does not necessitate us getting a major amount of words from the Father. It can just be a minor amount of words, but it will change the major impact, implications, and trajectory of our future and our life in Christ. Let me hear an amen. In our relationship with God, you have to understand that life doesn't always necessitate many words coming from Him. It's just we need His words. I think about when a time in my life when Michelle and I were engaged and a lot of major decisions that would have major impacting implications. And I think about God didn't speak a whole paragraph to me. He spoke one word to me. And we lived in the supernatural favor and provision and ordering of our steps by the Father in obedience to that one word. One word. Minor amount of words, but major impact implications. Some of you today, again, the exchange is available. To exchange the minor amount of words that is continuing to have major negative impact and implications on your life for some maybe minor amount of words from your heavenly Father, from your loving Father, to invite the Holy Spirit to give you ears to hear what the Spirit's saying to you, to give you a heart prepared to receive that will change the course of your life and the trajectory and the path you're on. So number one, a minor amount of words can still have a major amount of impact. But also when you think about the minor prophets, what makes the words of the prophets so important is also their timeliness. So number two, what makes words prophetic is their timeliness. See, the minor prophets spoke prophetic words. The words were not major in the amount of words they spoke, but they were major in the implications and the impact of the words they spoke. But also those words were prophetic, prophetic in the sense they were timely. Let me give you some examples from Scripture. Proverbs 15, 23, a man has joy by the answer of his mouth and a word spoken in due season, how good it is. Notice it's the word connected to timeliness that the spirit of wisdom says how good it is. Isaiah 15, verse 4, now this is a major prophet, but we still see the same lessons because now we're talking about how what makes words prophetic is their timeliness. In Isaiah 50, verse 4, Isaiah says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know, watch this, how to speak a word in season. To him who is weary, he awakens me morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as the learned. See, some of you have heard the truth of God's word that you need in this season before. But you've not let the Holy Spirit in this season speak that word to you. See, it's not, this is where we overcomplicate things. 
we think, well, I already know this. I already heard this. But see, prophetic words is not necessarily words you've never heard. It's words that are timely to where you're at right now. It's one thing to have a prophetic word of God in a season when things are going well where you know the Father tells you, I love you. It's another thing when he says those same minor amount of words, but in a season that you're so broken and so in despair and so confused by the enemy, the same minor amount of words, but their timeliness in that season, boom, changes things. Ecclesiastes 12.11 says, The words of the wise are like golds. Now, we don't have many golds laying around. But golds were long poles, long beams of timbers sharpened at the end that farmers would use to get the cattle to get moving forward again. That if they get stubborn or tired or lazy or want to break and it's not break time, the gold helps encourage the oxen to move forward again. And the Spirit of Wisdom says the words of the wise are like golds to get us moving again, to get us alert again, to get us watching again, to get us hungry again, to get us surrendered again, to get us in a posture again for God's grace that is abundant to be able to flow into our life. Then it says the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Notice that. They're like a well-driven nail. A well-driven. There's an intent on it. And because there's a clear intent on it in a needed season, the impact is greater. Do you know that probably many of the greatest NBA basketball stars never played in the NBA. They never played. Do you know that some of the smartest people in America never teach anybody what they know? See, it's not having nails in my garage that ultimately matters. What matters is when there's a need and a moment of need that the nail can be well driven into that need. And that's the difference between a lot of believers is they have the potential to live supernatural lives, to experience a supernatural God. But they allow this thought that, well, I've heard this before or I knew this before or I must need something else. No, no, no. Sometimes we need what we already heard, but we need it to be well-driven in the moment of need into our life. See, this is the idea the word prophetic carries. Prophecy, according to the Apostle John, is the testimony of Jesus. It is the declaring of the mind and intent of what God desires to do in situations. That's what prophecy is. See, prophecy is divine communication regarding what is taking place, 
and God's will regarding it. Now there are two Greek words. Everybody say two. There are two Greek words regarding the issue of time. The first is the Greek word chronos. Now chronos is the Greek word used in regarding a succession of moments. A succession of seconds and minutes and days. It's what our iPhone, or if anybody still has an actual watch on their wrist, it's what our iPhone or actual watches keep up with. This is what the Greek word calls chronos. Orderly, seconds, minutes, days. Okay, But the Greeks had another word regarding time. And it's the Greek word keros. And keros is not the succession of minutes and seconds and hours. But keros is a word for time as a season. It's as a season. Listen, it's not about seconds and minutes. It's about a season. Now we know from the spirit of wisdom in Ecclesiastes, and I've taught you all this before, is that purpose creates and precedes our seasons. Purpose precedes season. Okay? So, keros is these spiritual seasons, these seasons of God, and it's His purpose and His purpose for us that precedes these seasons coming into our life. That's a carols moment, a season of God. Maybe this will help you. Rick Howard says specific carols times are the finding times of God. These finding times are specific carols moments in which God desires to bring forth a full expression of Jesus Christ in our lives. Finding times. Now, now listen, it's not that God doesn't know. It's not that God's purpose creates these seasons in our life so God can find out something he's not, He doesn't already know. Like God in, in Genesis when He asked Adam, where are you? It's not that He didn't know where Adam was at because He's actually talking to Adam so he, he knows where he's at. It was a finding time of God. It was a season for an awareness to come about to Adam of where he's at in God's plan and what God's plan and how it interacted to what he is going through and where he's at in life. That's a keros moment, a keros season. See, you got to understand that regardless of what people that are overeducated but undereducated in the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of true knowledge, regardless of what scientists and people want to create, and make up through some computer module. The moon and the stars and the sun and this planet and the animals were created by God, for God, with intent and purpose. It's not happenstance. You have to understand that God's eternal purpose precedes all of that. He created all of these things, including us humans, for a purpose. God has an eternal purpose, a purpose that precedes the creation of Kronos and precedes Keros moments, seasons. 
And because God has an eternal purpose, listen, God's plan extends to all generations. Sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we, in our day and age, I, you've, you've heard statements by this secular thinking. People today think that we're more enlightened and we're smarter, humans, we're more involved than people that lived 60 years ago or 300 years ago. Well, that's funny because we have the same issues. Jealousy, debt, entitlement, self-destructive patterns. These are things that's oldest time. So, what is going on? It's God's plan extends to every generation, including ours. And God is working towards the manifestation of His plan in all generations. That's ultimately what the Spirit of Wisdom says in Ecclesiastes when it says there's nothing new under the sun. Meaning God's eternal purpose hasn't changed. And God in every generation is still working towards the end goal and the purpose that He has. So the prophetic then implies how events and circumstances point to specific seasons, the Keros times of God, regarding how He's working towards the bringing about of His plan. So when we talk about something being prophetic, what we're saying is, is that the event and the circumstance is pointing to a specific Keros season of God where He's wanting to use this season to get people and to get nations and to get us back in alignment on his purpose that is passed down and continues to every generation. Think about it. Hosea, a minor prophet, marrying a prostitute. Pastor Craig talked about it last week. What makes that prophetic is that it points to Israel's unfaithfulness to God as her husband. And how God's purpose continues for every generation. And so God in the generation of Hosea is still working towards His eternal purpose. So He uses that event to point to what God is wanting to do in that season is to get Israel back to focusing on their faithful God and faithful husband. Think about Joel, the minor prophet, the book of Joel. Joel talks about the destruction of locusts upon Judah. This is natural destruction. This isn't metaphorical visions of locusts. These are real locusts destroying the national agricultural industry of a nation. And what makes that prophetic is that Joel, in his minor amount of words, though it has major significance, tells us how the timeliness of this locust invasion is pointing to how God is wanting to do something in the now to move us and to move people towards His end goal of His purpose of why He's done all of it. And what was that? That the destruction of locusts upon Judah is nothing close to the devastation of the future judgment of God upon the whole earth. That's what makes it prophetic. Is it points to 
what God in this season is doing in this generation to get us moving forward His eternal purpose of why He's done everything. Keep following me because it's going to intersect with your life here in a moment. When you look at the minor prophet Amos in that book, what you see is if you take, Amos was a farmer, by the way. He was a farmer. And then God called him away from that. Why would he do that? Because the whole thing that makes it prophetic is God shows if you take the farmer Amos away from his farming, guess what will happen? The harvest will rot. What makes that prophetic is it's all pointing to the Kairos moment in the now of what God is working towards in that generation, towards His eternal purpose, which is this. If Israel leaves and takes God out of their life six days a week, and they take God out of their work while they're working, serving money or serving God, calling and purpose, then they are personally left rotting and dirty like Amos' fruit. That's what makes it prophetic. Is it points to the significance of how God in this spiritual season is seeking to move His eternal purpose forward. In each of these instances, God was working towards an end and an intent He had in mind. Time doesn't avail me to tell you of Job to tell you how you see it throughout Scripture, that God has kairos seasons, and it's not just happenstance, why me? It's always working towards God's eternal purpose moving forward. My season, your season, our marriage seasons, our parenting seasons, our work seasons, the kairos moment of God for His children. What makes it prophetic is that it's pointing to something He's wanting to do in us and do now to move His eternal purpose manifesting and coming into reality, the coming of His kingdom practically in manifestation to the world around us. So the timeliness of the words of the prophets points to the end intent that God desires to bring about through the season. Now for those of us here today, we don't live under the Old Covenant. We don't live in the days of the minor prophets. So where do you see this idea of the words of the prophets being timely? Where do you see this idea and application for us in the New Testament? Let me show you one place. Hebrews 6 and verse 1. In Hebrews 6 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Now, perfection is the word maturity. So God's called us to this type of perfection. So don't get confused when we say no one's perfect. Well, don't get confused with God's call that we are called to perfection biblically, but it means maturity, okay? Not how we use it in the English language. And maturity means that a person or thing is able to carry out its intended purpose. Listen, you're sitting in a mature chair. Now you think from an English language, can the chair become more perfect? Could we razzle-dazzle it? Could we spice it up and make it look better and more appealing? And Yeah. But listen, it's accomplishing the intent of why it was made. So in that sense, it's mature. That's biblical maturity. 
He says, let us go on to perfection maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God, doctrine of baptisms, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Verse 3. And this, going on, moving forward, pursuing maturity, and this we will do if God permits. How crazy is that? That's like me coming to Trent like, hey, Trent, God, God wants to expand your business. He wants to give you a couple key connections, and those key connections unlocks that person's influence to what God's given you. And then me telling Trent that and saying, but though God wants to do it, let's see if he'll do it and allow it. That don't make no sense, does it? What's going on here? What's going on is God's purpose for all of us is to go on to maturity, but God has designed carol seasons that we have to embrace and go through in order to move forward in His eternal purpose. And if we don't embrace the timeliness of the seasons and His few words sometimes of why the season's there, then we can't go on. You can't go on to get your master's if you never first went on and got your undergrad. It's not that the opportunity is removed from you. It's not that the possibility is removed from you. It's that there's a season that has to be fulfilled before you can enter into the next season. This is the same with God. So, so many of you keep asking, you keep saying, God has this for me, and why is this happening, and I know I'm supposed to get here. Don't be distracted from the prophetic of what God is saying this season is about because the reason this season's here is that there's got to be preparation and He's got to do something now before you can ever have then unlocked. And that's becoming in tune with the prophetic. What is God through natural events and circumstances in my life saying in regards to how he wants to move his purpose for me and for him in me and through me in the now. In the now. Because notice what it's, you keep reading in verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, had become partakers of the Holy Spirit, tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if, there it is, See, notice he says, and this we will do, we'll go towards maturity if God permits. Well, how do we know when God permits His will to come back, come forth? Well, we know because it's based on if we respond to Carol's moments correctly. He says, if they fall away. Listen, falling away is the opposite of moving forward. So the writer of Hebrews says, listen, you can't move forward in what God has for you if you're choosing to move backwards in what you already have known and acquired in Christ. You can't move forward in algebra and the same point move backwards in forgetting the elementary things of mathematics. You can't forget multiplication and division and still move forward in algebra. And that's what he's saying. He says in verse 4, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those 
by whom it is cultivated receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Go on if God permits, but it's impossible to go on if you're not allowing the purpose of this season to come to fruition. Here's another way explains it. You can't have ground that drinks in the rain, but if it's not bearing the intended herbs, you can't have fruitfulness. You can't drink in, listen, God's Word and God's presence in gatherings and in growing through growth phases and in groups through connect groups and in giving and serving. Listen, you can't keep drinking in the Word of God and the presence of God in those things and not say yes to the prophetic things He wants to do in this season and those things allow you to move forward in fruitfulness. Do you see that? That's what He's saying. We have to allow the purpose that preceded the season we're in to be fulfilled in this kairos moment before we can move into new seasons of God. So what is prophetic about the season you're in? What end intent is God working towards in this season for His glory? That's what makes us as children of God, our life, prophetic. Our life is timely. It's what makes His words to us timely. You know, when I think about the amount of words of the minor prophets and I think about their timeliness to Israel and Judah, I think about a common similar, uh, similarity many Americans have today with Israel and Judah. What do I mean? Well, let me tell you what journalist Bill Morris said. He said, we Americans seem to know everything about the last 24 hours, but very little of the past six centuries or the last 60 years. How many believers fall into that? Israel and Judah fell into that. They knew more about what was happening in the now than they did the history of all that God had been doing through the old covenant and for them as a special people. They knew more and was more aware of what was happening currently in the nation than God's plan for the nation. How many of us are more in tune and aware of what's happening on social media and what's happening today than we are what God has been doing from the beginning when He made the sun, the moon, the stars, and humanity. Because God's plans extended to each generation. And understanding this affects us in understanding why God often speaks so few words to us. Why? Listen. Because he's already said so much. He's already said so much through thousands of years of prophetic events, through nations, through circumstances, through prophets, through all kinds of events and circumstances. He's already said so much. And because he's already said so much, that's why in our season, he needs not say so much. Oftentimes, he just needs to say a little. And the reason why sometimes the little he says doesn't make sense to us and we think we need more is because we're like what Bill said. 
we're aware of what's going on in our life now, but we've not grown in awareness of what's been going on for thousands and thousands of years in the eternal purpose of God. The more you know God's eternal purpose, the clearer you are on the few words He speaks. In fact, most dangerous people that are so-called prophetic in that, it's, they're dangerous because they don't rightly divide God's word and they are not clear on God's eternal purpose. Therefore, they're dangerous because they think they hear God today, and they might, but because they're not clear in all God's already said, they don't know how to rightly apply and interpret what it is He said today. This leads us, when, it, when we talk about the timeliness of the prophetic, it leads us to judgment is mercy, question mark. Judgment is mercy. Rick Howard, he says, God, knowing our weakness, has provided through teaching judgments an ultimate restoration that will come to know His purpose. The primary illustration in the Old Testament is the fact that 25% of it is about the Babylonian captivity. This percentage, of course includes the prophecies preceding it, the captivity itself, and finally the restoration from the captivity. God succeeded through 70 years in Babylonian captivity at what He could not accomplish among His people in hundreds of years under kings. He rid Israel of idolatry and did indeed all the dealings of God have a specific purpose. What is that purpose? Listen. That as God permits, let's go on to maturity and His eternal purpose. Let's move forward in doing what Jesus, when He called His original disciples, invited them to. Not just come and sit in here, but follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Let us move forward in His plan and His purpose and our role in it. Rick Howard goes on and says, God's activity upon me is the guarantee of the value He places on me and of the intention He has for me. Wow. His judgments always have a redemptive purpose and a remnant always comes through it, a remnant of our lives or a remnant of God's people who are restored. What does that mean? Judgment is mercy because it gets us where we've been distracted from the keros moments of God it gets us back to realizing our need and dependence on God. And it gets us back to His purpose that precedes even our life. And it gets us back in a posture of, wait a minute, I'm called to follow Him and let's move on to maturity. Casey, secondly, when we think about timeliness, is majoring only on the seen to the neglect of the unseen invites the prophetic voice of God. Meaning if you only focus on what's going on outwardly in your life to the neglect of your heart and what's going on in your emotions and soul, you invite the prophetic voice of God. Why? Because Israel, on the outside, everything was looking good. They're making more money. Everything's going well, the economy, but they were doing it in a manner that did not honor the Lord. 
They were doing it in a way of never checking what their motives and their character was. And because of that, it invited the prophetic voice of God. Anytime all we do is focus outwardly on outward things of life, we invite the prophetic voice of God into our life. We invite carol seasons to expose what it is we're neglecting. Because listen, God wants us to be integrated people. He, he wants, and, and the apostle John reveals this. Caleb and, and the kids were walking to the, the mailbox and he had his backpack on with all these things because they were playing in the woods. And I come back because they stopped halfway and sat on rocks and I finished getting the mail, coming back. When I came back, he had his Bible opened. And I can't remember why we had been discussing how it came about, but prosperity had came about. We had been discussing it in the home. And uh, I said, well, have you read what, what Third John says? So when I got back, he had opened his Bible to it. He was reading it to me, to tell me. But this is what the Apostle John says, that you would prosper in your health and outwardly, and the things God has for you outwardly, what though? As your soul prospers. He don't want us to prosper in the seen and to be diminished and, and weak on the unseen. He wants it integrated. When it's not integrated, we invite the prophetic voice of God. Listen to me. Prophecy originates from the heart and eyes of God, not from the origin of man. This is why the prophetic voice, you can look at a person's life and it looks like they got everything together, but the prophecy doesn't originate from what you see with the natural eye. It originates from what God actually sees. And this is proven in 2 Peter 1.20. It says, knowing this, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, false prophecy is when we prophesy according to what we see. True prophecy is being moved by the Holy Spirit to prophesy and declare not what we see, but what God sees. And not often even the person who hears it sees it. That's why God wants to remind them, you don't see that I have it for you, but I'm reminding you today that I have this for you, that you have a promised land, that I have some promises that are yes and amen. And you can't see how you can ever experience, but the prophecy is the testimony of Jesus that He has it for you. He knows how to get you to it if you will listen and follow Him. So this is why New Testament prophecy is for the following purposes. 1 Corinthians 14 and 3. But he who prophesies speaks edification. Everybody say edification. And exhortation. And comfort. Say comfort to persons. You know what that means? It means New Testament prophecy is to build up, stir up, and to help up. That's what those words mean in the Greek. True prophecy is to build up, stir up, and help up. Now sometimes the comfort comes through uncomforting words. Like when the prophet Agabus said, Hey, listen, there's going to be a, a famine. Or he took Paul's belt and said, Whoever's belt this is, you got suffering for Jesus ahead, that he would be glorified in your life. Or when it says there's going to be a famine, therefore let's go ahead and store up some food and prepare for it. That ain't good news, but it's prophecy because it comforts you because you know God knows the future and He prepares His people that are listening for it. See, true prophecies, the reason they build up, 
stir up and help up is because they always witness to Christ because that's the spirit of prophecy. And it witnesses to what Christ in this Kairos moment of your life is seeking to do to get you more aligned, more involved, more surrendered, more fulfilled in what He's been eternally purpose and what He's been working towards in every generation on the earth. Hallelujah. So a minor amount of words can still have a major amount of impact. Secondly, what makes words prophetic is their timeliness. And lastly, believe the words and prosper as the band comes. Look at 2 Chronicles 20.20 with me. Believe what words? The prophetic words. If you're in a Carol's moment, a season where it doesn't matter how long you've been in it. Listen, you can be in it 17 years because it's not based on the succession of time. It's based on is God's purpose being allowed to prevail in this season of your life. But 2 Chronicles 20, 20 says, So they rose early in the morning, went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Woo! You shall be built up. Believe His prophets, and you shall prosper. Listen, this theme is seen over and over throughout Scripture. The just shall live by faith. Believe in your God. What does believing in your God look like? In the words that He's saying to you in this season. I know it don't look like the words fit the season, but that's why the just lives by faith. I know what God's saying about you don't look like the person you are, but that's why the just shall live by faith. But if you'll believe the words, then you're believing the one who spoke the words, and you're believing in a hand that's greater than any hand of man. You're you're believing in a healer that's greater than any hurt man has done to you. Abraham believed, and he prospered in what God had for him. You don't find anybody in Scripture that believed God's word to them and did not prosper in what God had for them. Now this is why also biblical understanding regarding what biblical prosperity is is so important. Listen, biblical prosperity is not prosperity according to the standards, weights, and measurements of the world and its world system. Biblical prosperity is God's purpose for us succeeding. Biblical prosperity is God's intent for your life and my life and our life succeeding. And I assure you, whether it comes with suffering for Christ, whether it comes with persecutions, whether it comes with great exaltation like Joseph, you'll find contentment in your godliness of surrendering to the voice of your shepherd no matter what it is because our contentment and joy is found in the will of God regardless of circumstances. That's prosperity, biblically. When Israel and Judah believed and acted on the words of the prophets, they succeeded in moving forward in God's intent and plan for them. When they did not, listen, merciful judgment were eventually initiated, seeking to get God's purpose moving forward again. See, unfaithfulness of God's people is not a minor issue, it's a major issue. You know why? Because we have a major God, He's got a major mission to redeem His whole planet and all His creation back to Him. Here's some application for us today. 
Listen, minor acts of obedience have major implications and impact. That's the power of the prophetic. It's not that the act is major in the sense that people around you are going to say, wow, I can't believe you believed God and did that. Or, or not major that we're going to make the, the, the Twitter feed. That we're going to trend. No, no, listen. What makes a minor act major is that it was done in the obedience of faith. Oh, and God, through our acts of faith and trust in Him, can do more we can ever imagine or ask. That's what we see Jesus doing all throughout Scripture. All the miracles is that God takes what the world and others says is minor and He shows it can have major impact and trajectory on the rest of your life. It's in this season. It's with these questions. It's in this wandering. It's in these hurts. It's in this pain that you'll believe what God says and asks of you to do. That you will prosper and see future seasons of God unlocked for you. You don't have to understand why. You just trust and obey. Let me tell you some minor moments in the span of a lifetime. Minor in the span of a scope of a lifetime, but grow to become major in impact. How about climbing a tree? How about acting like a little kid again in climbing a tree? How can a minor act of climbing a tree have major implications of generations of people be impacted by the gospel? Zacchaeus taking a walk how can a small act of taking a walk impact someone's whole rest of their life as the two on the road of Damascus how can a small act of dropping fishing nets so impact someone's life for the glory of God and other people around the world as Peter and Andrew about their minor act of dropping their nets how it impacted them in their future oh what about Abram when he got up early the next morning and he saddled his donkey how can some horse riding in a minor act of horse riding in faith be used to glorify God and get the gospel forward ask Abraham saddled his donkey the next morning and he said, Isaac, we got to go and present ourselves before God. Why? Not because it was seen as major by the culture around him. Though it seemed minor, it was major because God asked him of it. Who's God asking? Just, can you be faithful for two months? Can, can you be faithful where I placed you to serve in the community? Can you be faithful to pray and to pray for the people I've led you to for two months? Can you be faithful in what I'm asking you to do in this season? There's a prophetic carols moment on what I'm asking you to do. I know it don't make sense, but it's not illogical. Trust me. I see the unseen. Now trust me with the minor acts I'm asking you in the scene. Believe it. Watch the purpose of God's carols moments prosper in your life. Be faithful in what God says to you do. Hallelujah. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.